Well, here we go. The Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. Thrilled that you're here. My name is Eddie Cohn, host, creator of The Spiritual Spiral. And The Spiritual Spiral is on fire right now because there is so much technology insanity happening to our culture that I have a lot to talk about. I'm going to be I'm going to try and make it quick, but there's there's a lot that I want to pack in today. So, a couple things, some housekeeping. I just got my YouTube live spiritual spiral podcast channel up. So, if you type in the downward facing spiritual spiral on YouTube, subscribe. There's going to be videos, ideally live episodes. Of course, when people do things live, that can always create disruption and problems because People end up putting their foot in their mouths, but we're going to give it a try. Hopefully, I don't do it too often. So head over to YouTube, subscribe, find me on Instagram at Eddie Cohn. You can also head over to IamEddieCohn.com and get onto my newsletter, which I'm going to begin in the next couple of weeks. I'm writing a book, another book, a new one right now about our culture and how it's affected by technology. So head over to my website. Also, I've got a newsletter on Substack.com. So find the spiritual spiral over there. I'm just becoming everywhere on the internet. The thing that I despise the most, I'm all over it. So all of that out of the way. And of course, if you dig the show, just reach over or reach out to me on Instagram and say hi and give the show a five-star review on iTunes. All of that out of the way. So I'm going to get to Ryan Murphy and Quibi and Netflix soon. But I really am struck by this incident that happened in Central Park yesterday with Amy Cooper and Christian Cooper. Ironically, they have both the same they have the same last names, which is kind of ironic here. Maybe they're related in another lifetime. So the story goes is that Christian is bird watching in this specific area in Central Park. And Amy is walking her dog, although the dog is not leashed. So and it's a it's a leashed area in Central Park. She should have her dog leashed. <laughs> I know this is this is such pressing, important issues, right? I mean, it ultimately becomes an important issue. But so Christian apparently is is asking her to leash her dog. Really, all we know is from the moment Christian turns his video camera on and starts videotaping what's going on, and of course, Amy is crazy. She seems insane, completely overreacting, and she is acting racist in her response to Christian. This video now, of course, has gone viral and NPR and people are talking about it, how it's another example of racism in our country, as if we need more examples. If we didn't already know how racist our country is, let's give America more examples. I am just curious about this from a different angle. And what's frustrating is that this is the world that we live in, where the minute-long clip that is revealing of your behavior on now social media or YouTube or wherever, that minute defines who you are and also defines our culture. It doesn't matter about any good that Amy may have done for the 30, 40 other years that she's lived her life, I have no idea how old she is. All that matters is that minute. And she ends up losing her job. 
And I guess she's lost her dog temporarily. The dog has now been placed back into this kennel, or I suddenly forget the word, um, where, where dogs are kept. doesn't matter. But the, apparently the dog has been returned there. Now this, this moment in Central Park is symbolic of the huge sheer racism in our country. And I guess that's there's a lot of angles here that are troublesome, but I can't, and I'm not denying how she reacted, was it, it was clearly racist. This is what I'm curious about. And I, I'm, I guess I'm sensitive to it right now because I'm writing an article trying to get it published about this idea of IDGAF, not giving a fuck. You have two people here. One's watching birds, one is watching do- uh, is walking her dog. So how did he ask her to leash her dog? Was he condescending? Did he have an attitude? Was he rude? Or did he politely ask Amy to leash her dog? Now, most of you out there are going to say, it doesn't matter. Nothing matters other than how she reacted and the minute that I'm watching that video. But in my perspective, I think everything matters. You know, of course there's levels of matter, (laughs) but, you know, the way somebody approaches a situation does create and set up one's response. Why is she not just agreeing with with Christian and just saying, okay, sure, let me leash my dog? Why is she being so standoffish? Why is she having a hard time just saying yes? And then again, this is very simple to say this, but maybe she had a terrible day. Maybe she had a terrible night's sleep. I know when I don't sleep well, my reactions and decision-making is just off. How did he communicate it to her? Why is she responding that way? Why is she not simply just leashing her dog? Why is he then pulling out his camera and filming the whole thing? Like, what's, did, what's the point? And then why is she calling the police? I mean, she's saying that he's abusing her and threatening her. None of that is true, at least from the video that, that I'm watching. Now, this is this, what's so troublesome to me also is that this has gone so far off, and now, of course, it's gone viral, and it's hit like national news, that even if he did say something condescending before he pressed record, and maybe he did look at her, you know, and looked at her ass or looked at her legs, I mean, who knows what he may have done before he presses record. And maybe he, didn't, maybe he did absolutely nothing. My point is, is that none of it matters anymore. People have already made a decision. People have already classified her as racist. People have all of already classified that as another example of racism. And nothing matters. And then his response in NPR is, boy, I'm, I'm really surprised that this is how our culture is reacting to this video. I had no idea. I mean, really, do, do you really believe that? It, it feels as though, again, I'm not condoning her behavior. It just feels as though the two of them didn't really help the situation along. Pulling out the phones, calling the cops, her not just leashing her dog. And it does sort of go to this attitude of what I'm writing about in my article right now, where people just don't give a fuck. People just want to do them. They don't want to think about anybody else. And it's not until the video goes viral and that hundreds and thousands of people sort of look at it, then suddenly people apologize 
and you know want to take their actions back and then people are surprised that this video went viral i mean it's pretty infantile the whole thing two people out on a leisurely day one's walking one's walking their dog one's watching birds and it turns into this national story all because of our culture the cell phone camera culture people just doing whatever they want not thinking about others this is the world that we live in and it's not a very fun place to be right now and i do think tech social media are perpetuating this world where you can say or do anything you want without really thinking and then once the camera turns on i mean you know there's a camera on right now because i'm gonna, i'm going to post this video online and people want me to record live videos i mean the one thing about not recording my podcast live if i say something stupid by accident i can go back and delete it it's it's almost like people don't want to give other people a break they're they're jumping at the bit hoping for people to make a mistake so we can call them out and ruin their life and i say to myself because you know i talk pretty extemporaneously here on my show why do i want to set myself up for that sort of failure or disaster we are so quick to judge people from such small snippets that it's a world that i can understand now in this weird sort of way why people only want to post happy little selfies and dog and baby pictures all day because if you don't if you post something that potentially could rub somebody the wrong way well it, it could go viral people could think you're a racist people could think you're insensitive or a sexist it's it's just it's kind of fucked up So I was thinking about something and I was thinking about it last week when I had Ryan, or I was listening to Ryan Murphy talking to Kara Swisher for Recode Decode. And I was thinking about it last night. You know, when you watch a show on Showtime, Netflix, HBO, as soon as the show is over, they immediately go to the credits. Actually no, let me take that back. It immediately goes to the next episode. You have like 3 seconds to decide if you want to watch the credits or else it's going to go to the next episode. And obviously there's an intentional there's a reason behind all of that. You know, Netflix, Showtime, they just want you to keep watching. They don't want you to stop. And I was thinking back to when I was in college and I had a friend who worked on pulp fiction. you know incredible movie one of my favorite movies and i remember sitting in the theater when the movie was over you know anxiously waiting seeing her name on the screen and there was some connection and joy to sit there and see her name on the screen and and i think we forget how much time effort craft how many people are involved in putting a TV show or a movie together you know i just finished watching the 8th season of, of homeland which was 
incredible. And does it matter? Like, do kids ever have curiosity about, huh, what's, what's a gaffer? What's, what's a director of photography? What, what do these people do? What, what's a grip? What's, what's a set designer? I mean, all these titles. I remember being in the theater, seeing these names, and they would create curiosity. And none of that matters anymore. The process, who's involved, who's creating, who's doing what. I mean, yes, of course. If somebody innately is curious or has a family member who works as a grip or a cinematographer or, you know, a music supervisor, you know, just does a kid even think about, huh, is somebody out there selecting those songs or playing that music in the background? I mean, where does that all come from? Is it magically just sort of like plopped onto the show? And is, are there any people involved in thinking about all of that stuff? Because it, it feels as though we live in a world now where none of that matters. And I think that's another reason why I created the podcast because, you know, I have been working on some new music and I'm working on a song right now. It's called Underwater. And I spent a few hours in Logic. It's a programming tool, putting the drum loops together, adding some synth lines. And then, you know, I don't have, I don't have the lyrics done yet, but you sing a sort of scratch vocal that has the melody of the song that you hear in your head. And then I sent the file to my drummer in Burbank who put the drums down. But then after he did the drums, I thought the song was a little too slow. So I spent like three hours trying to figure out the right tempo. And so I'm singing the song in my head at different tempos, trying to figure out what feels good. So it took like five hours just to get to that point. And then the next day I asked my drummer Jake to redo the drums because the tempo that he played the drums in felt too slow. So then he redoes the drums and we're doing this remotely right now. I'm not in the room with him, which is creating its own sort of hurdle in itself. And so he plays this drum part, but he played a cooler drum part the day earlier, but the tempo was too slow. So I needed him to redo the drums with this cooler drum part that he came up with yesterday, but with the new tempo. So that took a few hours. And then I thought of a space in the song where the drums should all go away. So that took about an hour or two to figure that out. And now I'm sending the song to a uh, my friend Bruce, who's a guitar player and bass player. And now he's involved in adding some instrumentation to the song. So we're already talking like a three minute song already has upwards of 15 hours of work. But again, you know, Spotify, Napster, looking at the credits in a record, looking at the credits um, when you go to the record store of, of who did what, who produced this, who sang that, like none of that matters anymore. It's, it's a little disheartening. And I'm not trying to, you know, hold on to something that, that's unnecessary or holding on just for the sake of holding on. It does dumb down creativity, curiosity, who did what, all the work that's involved. It's, it's psychologically handicapping people. And also people have this strange 
myopic attitude where they're not even thinking about it. They're just so tunnel visioned, thinking about the product, no curiosity or interest in how it's actually made. So I want to play some clips from Ryan Murphy, who's really famous TV producer, movie producer. He's done Glee, American Horror Story. American Horror Story, the first season, was one of my favorite shows ever. The rest of his seasons, I thought, were really mediocre and sort of all over the place. So we have this new app, Quibi, that just came out where it's like very short, quick bites of shows. We have Netflix who doesn't want you to see the credits of any shows. We obviously have Amazon Prime and Showtime. I'm really, you know, another thing that I've noticed with TV shows, the short series. You know, I just watched 12 episodes of Homeland. Those types of shows, seasons where there's 10 to 12 episodes, they're going away. We're seeing more and more of those types of shows that have, you know, like four to six episodes, like Unorthodox on Netflix like Waco that was on Paramount that Netflix picked up a few weeks ago. And there's a reason why. It's because of attention spans. It's because producers, writers, directors, and networks don't trust that people will stay engaged for 10 to 12 episodes. Now, I will argue that if the show is that fucking good, like Homeland, or I've started watching Billions, which has been really amazing, if the show... And the quality is that high, and the writing and the characters are that interesting, people are going to stay engaged. But networks, producers, directors are getting so caught up with this idea that people's attention spans are not what they used to be, which is true. Instead of challenging people's attention spans with better quality, they're giving in and giving people not necessarily what they want. But what their brains are becoming accustomed to, which is shorter, quicker, faster, less thinking, less connection, less trust that people want higher quality. So I'm going to play some really important clips from Ryan Murphy. I'll have some thoughts. I'll let you go. Would you create for those things? Do you ever like the other day I was thinking I should do something on TikTok. I don't know what. And I'm I, and, and especially because I'm consuming more in this pandemic because I'm seeing what cre- there's a lot of creation going on right now with people yeah. at home and some of it really wonderful. Um, sort of showing where social media could be instead of this giant toxic waste dump that it had become. Do you ever think about creating for those mediums or just use them for marketing? For You've done a nice job of marketing Hollywood, for example, yeah. on social media. That, yeah, the, the trailer I mean, was great. The- I am interested in them. I and, mean, you know, I had just signed my deal with Netflix when Jeffrey Katzenberg approached me to do something on Quibi. And I was very interested in it because I felt he was onto something in terms of how we are digesting material and what is our attention span. Mm-hmm. And I know that because I used to do 22 episodes a year and then it moved down to 13 and then it moved down to 10 and now it's at eight. Sometimes it's six. And even with six episodes of something, an audience member is like, I just can't give you that commitment. I can do four. Yeah. So I felt that this idea of, um, you know, lessening attention spans is very interesting to me. And there is some dopamine hit that you get off of it. 
Um, you get instant results. You know how many people are watching you at a certain time. You know, you see that on social media. It's interesting. You don't have to wait. You know, and, and I am drawn to it, but I couldn't because of my deal at Netflix. I have what to. Would, what would you create if you were on those things? First of all, it's so it's interesting to me that he's using the word interesting to describe the dopamine and to describe how it's going from twelve from twenty two episodes down to twelve, down to ten, down to eight. He's he's calling that interesting. No, it, it's not interesting. What's what's happening is people's attention spans are incapable of watching something that's like 10 or 12 episodes. And instead of creating something that is so excellent that even if it is 10 or 12 episodes, people are willing to stay with the show. They don't trust that people can, and so they give in. And they dumb their creative process down to about four or six episodes, hoping, and then they pack as much in as they can, hoping that that's enough to keep people engaged. I'm telling you, this is rewriting our culture. It's rewriting creativity. It's also rewriting quality, which is why the quality of content is going down the toilet. I think what I, w- what I was interested in making for him is some sort of very sort of bite-sized horror series with every episode ending with some sort of cliffhanger, you know, that gets you to the next part of the story. I was very interested in that idea because I think that the horror... Sorry to interrupt. If you've listened to my show before, I have pointed the finger... And again, he, he's, you know, Ryan Murphy's a really smart, intelligent, powerful, talented human being. He's using the word interesting to describe a cliffhanger. There is nothing interesting about a cliffhanger. All a cliffhanger is, is an act of manipulation to get you to watch the next show. There's nothing interesting about that. In fact, it's completely uninteresting. Our genre is, you know, there is jump scares, there is kills, there is suspense sort of every naturally 10 minutes or you lose people. So I thought leaning into the best of that form was interesting and I was sort of drawn to that. I probably would do something like that. Yeah, that's an interesting, that's sort of Charles Dickens of you, how very, or Armistead Mopin, they, that was yeah. how it was done in a, in a serialized, you're talking about serialization yeah. essentially. Yes, but very small bites. Is there any part of it you don't like with the with sort of tech sort of beginning to dominate in the way you market these things? I assume that's how people are finding out about all your stuff now, or maybe not. I mean, generalized marketing doesn't happen anymore. I think the thing that's probably the hardest for me that that is difficult is the constant judgment. The constant commenting, the constant magnification of your life and your choices and your creative life. And you can't get away from it. I mean, I remember when I first started off making something, you'd get one report card, which was the reviews. You would never get reviewed again after that first pilot had aired. And then you'd get the rating and then you'd sort of know where you were. Now, even on streaming, though, you don't get the ratings. The the critical assumption of your work goes on for months because of Twitter, which I don't like. I think that Twitter <laughs> as a platform is particularly toxic. Um, it's toxic and it gives a lot of voice to people who, to be, in my opinion, shouldn't really have that voice. Mm-hmm. And I think in their mind, they think that they're 
they should. It's interesting to me. I like a little- <laughs> I'll stop it there because he keeps, I didn't realize how often he uses the word interesting. He needs to use another word besides interesting, maybe sad, depressing, disheartening, pathetic. But he's right, you know, as I say all the time, these platforms gives, give people the impression that their opinion matters, that they have something to say. Also, it amplifies, as he said, everything. Just look at that story in Central Park. Her whole life is going to be ruined. And should it be for those, that one minute? Does that one minute define her for the rest of her life? Does it nullify everything she's done up until that point? I can see why people don't want to be anywhere near the camera. And I can see why people who are performers or really deceptive or really good manipulators or really good or people that are really good at pretending are thriving in this world of cell phones. Also, you know who else is thriving right now? Megalomaniacs and people like sociopaths who don't feel, who don't give a fuck what other people say or think. The people who just do their thing, put their head down, don't give a fuck about others are thriving right now. And, and that's, that's the world we live in. So I'll leave you with that. Again, remember, head over to iameddycone.com. Sign up for my newsletter, email list, go over to the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral YouTube channel, subscribe, reach me on Instagram, Twitter, at Eddie Cohn. And as always, thank you so much for listening and being a part of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast. <laughs>